This is Melissa Lockard with Steve Berman from the Seamheads, a show about the Oakland A's. Well, the A's winning streak did not reach 20 games as it came to an end in Anaheim with two straight losses to start that series, but they came back and, and had a good victory to, to finish it out. And now that they head into a weekend series against the Giants with a chance to continue to extend their AL West lead. What were your impressions of that series? It was a lot of home runs. Bullpen was a little shaky in that first game, but came around again in the last two. And it looks to me like the Angels are going to be a bit more of a formidable opponent moving forward. Yeah, I think that last point you made is the one that really stuck out to me was the fact that the Angels lineup is just brutal. (laughs) You know, I mean, Trout, it seemed like I know that I did see him strike out on that check swing yesterday and he didn't make uh, it on base every single time, but it just seemed like he did. It seemed like no pitch they could throw almost would get past him. And then Rendon caught fire during that series after starting out so slowly. So, yeah, huge lineup. And uh, you wrote about it yesterday, too. I mean, Dylan Bundy, I saw him in person during his first start against the A's. He looks like just, as you said, a, uh, an ace for the Angels, uh, an amazing trade. I'm not really sure about the rest of that Angels rotation. But with that lineup, they could be dangerous in the AL West for sure. The A's... Definitely gave up a lot of home runs, but it seemed like the ball was carrying ridiculously well. I had not seen Angel Stadium play that way. It was interesting after the game, Chris Bassett mentioned that he felt like that's one of the stadiums that has better carry than in the ones that they play, which I was a little surprised to hear because I had always sort of had the impression that the marine layer impacts you know that stadium a little bit down there as well. But he feels like the ball carries there well on a normal basis. But of course, it was a day game at Angel Stadium, and I actually can't remember the last time I saw a day game there. I think they're one of the few franchises, maybe Maybe the Rangers being the other one that rarely plays day games, even on the getaway day for for teams. And so, um, you know, actually seeing a bright sunlight like that, I think, was a little jarring as well. But, um, you know, I think with Mike Trout, it's like I don't know if we'll ever get back to a situation again where teams are, you know, pitching around a player the way they did with Barry Bonds, you know, at, at the height of his home run hitting prowess. But I feel like Trout might be getting close to that. Like he just seems to be getting better and better, if that's even possible, every year it's like he's narrowed down the pitches that he's willing to swing at I think he used to be able to get him to chase up and now I think he lays off those pitches he can turn inside pitches out and hit him out to right field as if he was a left-handed hitter so I didn't think there was another level for Mike Trout but he might actually be hitting it yeah and as we have seen for years when he gets a low pitch to drive it's just ridiculous and great right-handed hitters generally are not thought of quite so much as low ball hitters as lefties, but Trout, it's just ridiculous. And yeah, some of those swings that he put on, I saw one of the swings that he had on one of his home runs earlier in the series. And, you know, usually a right-handed hitter, his swing isn't quite as pretty as a lefties, but Trout's got it going. And uh, Rendon too. Rendon is a guy who is obviously expected to do a whole lot. And the Angels just keep loading up that lineup with big name hitters. And you can see where the teams that are going to be facing him in the future are definitely going to be worried. But, hey, you know, the A's are still able to figure out uh, what was going on in the last game. And that was mostly because of Ramon Laureano's defense, it seemed like. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, you know, the first play that he came came coming in on the ball maybe was the most difficult of the three. Although he, after the game, he he refused to rate which ones. He says they're all hard, to, all hard plays, which I'll believe him on. But um, you know, to come in and be able to keep his glove up and then hit the ground and still manage to hold on to that ball with a without breaking his wrist and b without losing the ball, I thought was pretty incredible. And then you know, the second play, he got back to the wall and made the catch. And I, I'm not sure that ball would have gone out, but the third one for sure would have gone out. It would have tied the game. 
game. I think it would have been a fairly demoralizing uh, kind of chain of events and sort of maybe would have put them on the same path as Monday night's game when they had built up that lead and then those home runs late got them back to a point where they were scrambling to to try to take it again and eventually lost 10 to 9. So, um, it, you know, hugely important. I think his jumps have gotten a lot better this year. You know, one of the things last year that he really did have to work on was judging balls, um, especially going over his head, and they have him playing a little bit deeper, which I think has, has been helpful for him because he does seem more comfortable coming in on balls than he does going going back, but he also is able to get back to the wall more, um, and he said, too, that that's a great stadium to make those kind of catches because the, the, the fence in center field is, is lower than maybe it is in some of the other stadiums, So, um, but it was a tremendous day defensively, and then offensively, you know, he'd had a really rough game up until that eighth inning, but, I, you know, I thought that, that top of the eighth inning, if you were going to kind of encapsulate what it means to be an Oakland A's offense and try to put into words what their philosophy is, it was that inning, right? Like, you know, they didn't even hit a home run, although Matt Olson, I think, came within like a third of an inch of getting it over Joe Adele's head. But, um, you know, they had they had four walks that were spread out throughout the inning. They made, uh, I think it was three relief pitchers in the inning, throw a ton of pitches. You know, they, they got them on their heels. They laid off at least three uh, two-strike pitches that easily could have been uh, swing and misses on, you know, breaking balls just out of the zone that they were able to draw um, walks on. And I think that, you know, that was the key of the game because you got to a point where you're going into the bottom of the eighth inning, top of the lineup's coming up, there's only a one-run difference, and you're looking at a very different ball game. But to be able to mount that rally with essentially not actually even hitting the ball, I think is really just Oakland A's baseball for you. And it might not be flashy or particularly exciting, but um, the kind of work that the team was able to do in that inning was really remarkable. Yeah, it was hard to decide which walk was more impressive. The Grossman walk at the beginning of that rally where he was down 1-2 and then walked from there. And it seemed like uh, he was facing a pitcher who had a little bit of a blister issue at the time. But still, he actually had to you know, get that those those uh, balls past him. And then you had uh, Simeon's walk, which was just fantastic. Uh, you know, Watching it on TV, as we all are these days. He had to, you know, almost know what was coming, as uh, Kuiper and Fossey were saying, because, you know, he was just laying off all of those breaking pitches. And he also counted three and two, bases loaded. He's able to just, like, shrug off that one. You could you could see that the, the pitcher at the time was extremely upset about the fact that uh, not only that he walked the run in, but I think he thought that Simeon was going to chase at least one of those. And then Ramon uh, Laureano comes up after striking out three times and gets that single, uh, maybe a little bit thankful for Mike Trout playing so deep at center field as he likes to. But Ramon, just for me, the thing that stuck out, and this always does for me, is his demeanor. He, When he made that last home run saving catch... It was like nothing happened whatsoever. And then late in the game, they showed him, you know, right at the beginning of an inning, you know, standing in the outfield after he made his catch. And uh, he's and he's yawning, you know, and, and the announcers are joking like, oh, yeah, he's pretty excited about what he just did. And it just kind of brings back to me with Ramon is something that I noticed last year when I really started focusing on him and thinking really he's one of the most fun players to watch in all of baseball. Uh, that really started early last year for me was that he's almost like the A's version of Clay Thompson and just to switch sports a little bit where he's got this demeanor which is just he's very very focused 
but he's also kind of seems like he's in his own world sometimes, I, especially when Mike Fires had his no hitter last year. And after the game, Loriano made that amazing home run saving catch on Votto afterwards was saying, yeah, I actually didn't know it was a no hitter until the ninth inning and the crowd started getting loud. And that was like such a Clay Thompson kind of thing to do. Like he's just so focused on his craft and not really understanding what else is going on. He doesn't even really worry about, it. oh yeah, I didn't know it was a no hitter. Every single other person on the planet knew it was a no hitter at the time, except for Ramon, but it doesn't really matter. And he's just also fun to watch. And that was actually kind of the interesting thing about What's leading to the suspension that he's going to have to face at some point here is that, you know, we actually saw some of that fire from him and that personality when he charged the dugout. Yeah, not a great thing to do, but still, he's just such an intriguing player to me and so fun to watch. Yeah, and, you know, Eric Martins, the A's assistant hitting coach on Tuesday, had said that he's the most focused, Ramon is, the most focused player he's ever worked with. That Ramon will come in in the morning and they'll have their hitters meeting and he will have already dissected what the starting pitcher, you know, what his strengths and weaknesses are. And, and you know, he'll tell Eric, listen, if he throws this pitch, I'm going to be striking out three times in this game because I know that's one area that he can exploit me. And so he's really aware of what his strengths and weaknesses are. He's constantly working to get better. I think the story, you know, from him coming over to the States and playing in a junior college in Oklahoma and, and finding his way onto the Astros, you know, essentially is sort, sort of a, you know, nobody had ever really heard of him, but bit sort of based on the strength of his work ethic. And then, you know, going from there to becoming a legitimate prospect with the Astros, hitting that wall in double A, and then, you know, the A's still believing in him and bringing him over in the trade and he rewarding him like this. I mean, I think it's it's really one of the only in baseball kind of stories. You know, you, you don't see that as much in other sports where guys can really come out of nowhere and by almost sheer will, you know, get themselves in a position to be in the position that he's in. And so, you know, I think that's a really a cool aspect of what drives him and when what has made him such a key part of that team. And I think the other thing too, is if you, know, you were talking about cross sports analogies and obviously the George Kittle news is the big news of the week for the Bay area and his contract extension and um, kind of thinking of the A's. I don't know. I mean, he doesn't quite have the wild hair, obviously, especially right now he has no hair, but uh, I feel like Matt Chapman might be the George Kittle of the A's with just his willingness to do and get down and do the gritty, dirty work of defense, but also do these spectacular offensive plays. And I thought, that Monday, especially the first six innings of that Monday game, I mean, if you're going to talk about a, a spectacular resume builder, just those six innings alone, two home runs, a triple, that spectacular diving play on that line drive down the line, and and um, how he can you know influence a, a game from both sides of, of the plate um, is, is really remarkable. And maybe that's what the Angels are missing, and we sort of talked about that a little bit in, in the show last week, is like on paper you look at them and you think, this is a spectacular team. And when you go through their lineup, you're like, you know, it's I don't know that there's a lineup that is much of a grind, maybe the Yankees, um, you know, as the Angels lineup is. But they don't really have the players that do it on both sides. And I thought that the real difference on Wednesday was just the little things, right? Like Pujols in that eighth inning, I don't know what he was doing going so far over to get that ground ball that Chad Pender hit because Lestella was right behind him and would have probably turned that double play and ended the inning. Instead, he like runs over about you know 10 yards out of where he should normally have been, and they can only get the force at second base and extends the inning. I think Trout, you know, his pitcher kind of gave him a look when that Loriano ball fell through it fell into center field I, I highly would not recommend giving Trout looks if I was his teammate but um, <laughs> but I mean there's something about the way the A's defense sort of picks up 
you know, the pitching staff or players can influence even when they're having bad games the defensive side of the ball, you know, even if they're not hitting, that they can still contribute, that has made the team work better than the sum of its parts, if that makes sense. Yeah, I totally agree. I think defense actually is a big underrated part of team chemistry, just because of what you mentioned, where you do see when things are going poorly defensively, a pitcher might steal a glance out to the outfield and kind of give a lingering look, and then the outfielder goes, okay, thanks for just totally <laughs> putting me on blast on, on TV here. Everyone can see what you're doing, and so that's obviously going to lead to either some conversation in the dugout or the clubhouse or at least some hurt feelings or just the fact that when players work together on double plays on the infield and the fact that you know, you've know you noticed this before and talked about it, how Matt Chapman has said that the chemistry that he has with with his, his, his infielders like Matt Olson, that's something that actually comes from the fact that they played in the minor league so long, but also just that success that they'll have when one guy will pick up another guy with a great play. It just engenders that confidence and that trust. And, you know, when things are going well, then it's a lot easier to, to like the guys that you're working with when that kind of stuff happens. And now a word from Indochino. It'll be interesting contrast as they head into that series against the Giants, and, and obviously the Giants are off to a pretty decent start, you know, and from a win-loss perspective, considering what I think they were expected to do coming into the season, but defense has been a struggle all season, and, you know, there are a lot of moving parts, a lot of new players playing in positions maybe they aren't particularly familiar with or comfortable in, shifts that maybe they are seeing the ball at angles that they don't normally do. Um, I'm not sure what's going on with the catcher interference thing. It is a, a bit mind-boggling to me to see those kinds kind of catcher interference numbers at this stage of the season. But in terms of offense, though, especially since the Bay Area weather is supposed to be incredibly warm this weekend, unusually so, you know, we could see a lot of home runs in this series because the Giants have been hitting them at a much higher rate than they're normally accustomed to. And the A's seem to be finally getting back into that home run swing uh, that they are so familiar with. Yeah, I think Sunday could be a big offensive day, especially with probably the weakest pitching matchup of the three, Manaya going up against Logan Webb. And you mentioned the catcher's interference calls. Apparently that's by design. The catching uh, coaches and Gabe Kapler want their catchers, Tyler Heineman and Chadwick Tromp, to set up closer to the plate in order to steal more lower strikes. And that actually seems to be working to a certain extent, except for the catcher's interference calls, which have been, as you said, mind-boggling. Offensively, though, the Giants might be in a little bit of trouble, though, because Donovan Solano, who's hitting, you know, close to 500 and has been uh, Donnie Barrels for a reason, has missed uh, the last two games with uh, abdominal soreness. I'm guessing, though, they're not going to rush him back if there's any sort of question about that. And then Austin Slater, who, other than Mike Stremski and Solano, Slater's been the biggest pleasant surprise of the season. And he's got an elbow issue that I think is probably going to keep him out for this series and maybe put him on the IL. He apparently has discomfort both uh, swinging and throwing which is not a good sign. He had an elbow issue back in 2018, but that was at the end of that season, so he didn't miss any time. And I think the Giants are kind of worried about that. So with that, those guys, if they don't have Solano and Slater in the lineup, then the rest of the guys in that lineup, the Giants, the veterans, are doing absolutely nothing. Brandon Crawford doesn't even have an extra base hit this year. Hunter Pence and Pablo Sandoval look like they're on their last legs for sure, both of them hitting under 200. 
Evan Longoria looked good in the beginning, not so great lately. Brandon Belt hasn't really done much of anything either. So you're looking at, and obviously Buster Posey's gone. So the offense might not be able to do that much. And with Frankie Montas and Jesus Lazardo going in those first two games, I honestly wouldn't be surprised at all if the A's won convincingly in that in those first two. And then that third game is kind of up for grabs. Yeah, you know, Slater, I think he might have earned his spot in the regular Giants lineup with the performance he put together in those exhibition games against the A's leading into the regular season. And he's a guy whose um, career I've followed a lot over the last few years. And uh, it is a shame. I mean, it seems like every time he has a breakthrough, there's something like this that, that pops up. So definitely unfortunate that he might be laid up from a Giants perspective f- from the series. But you're right. You know, I'm actually very intrigued to see the matchup on Saturday between Lazardo and Kevin Gaussman. I mean, I think, you know, that signing that the Giants made and bringing Gaussman in for a one-year deal was was a really wise one and I think they will probably be able to get something pretty good for him at the trade deadline here and I guess in just a little over two weeks which is hard to believe we're, we're so you know shallow into the season and yet we're going to be talking about trade deadlines here in, in the the next week or two but you know he's a guy that they should be able to get at least one prospect for I would think and all they're doing is paying him money which is a, a, a pretty good signing you know if the A's are going to try to make a, a push at the deadline to add to their pitching depth you know he could be a guy they target you know they still haven't made a player for player trade yet it's uh birch smith was a thank you very much kind of trade for from the a's perspective but it was for cash considerations so you know the a's and the giants if they did come together i think they probably would make a player for player deal if, it, if gaussman was involved but the fact that he was holding his upper 90s velocity into the seventh inning of his last start is very intriguing and you know the to see how he fares and you know the a's obviously have a long hair history with him having you know seen him in the american league for as much time as they have so that'll be a good test because you know if he's been facing more national league teams maybe they just haven't seen him yet but it's going to be hard to evaluate trade targets because you're only facing a limited number of teams and you can't have advanced scouts so nobody is actually getting a look beyond just what they're seeing on television for these guys so uh the chance to see perhaps a trade target in person I think will be, um, you know, an interesting advantage for the A's going into those next couple of weeks. Um, and I should note that Gaussman was this good in our OOTP simulation. I think uh, Grant Brisby, who ran the Giants team, was able to trade him to the Nationals for, I think it was Spencer Keeboom or somebody along those lines. But um, And he ended up, I think, winning the Cy Young or was one of the leading candidates of the Cy Young in that league. So there's, there's something about the numbers were kind of predicting that this was coming for him. That matchup will be a, a, a fun one to watch because obviously two pitchers with a, a lot of really good stuff and, you know, Lizardo, every time he's out there, even I, I was there for his last start against Houston. He wasn't at his sharpest. He was still a lot of fun to see on the mound and he grinded through a very tough lineup there um, and, and was able to get good results despite not having his best command, which I think is, is a really good sign for his future. So it should be a pretty fun series and it's a shame that, you know, the the stadium can't be packed with all the fans because those are probably the most fun local games of the year. Oh yeah, those games are great. It's uh loud, you know, you have the A's fans who show up and uh start uh trying to uh get under the Giants fan skin a little bit because you got that big brother, little brother kind of rivalry. The Gowser thing is interesting. It's you know, some of the people around the Giants don't think that they're gonna wanna trade him just because He's someone that they're going to want to build around in the future. They feel like they really got a good bargain getting him on this one-year deal. Is he someone that would even pitch well enough to be a qualifying offer guy? I'm not sure. So you might think about actually, yeah, getting someone from another team to 
give them a really nice prospect. That's definitely possible. I, I just, and that's kind of funny that the OOTP is actually succeeding so well. Finally, I, I, I wrote recently that uh, he's a guy when I was looking at the Giants that I was most interested in watching. One of them was Gausman because, man, he would just kill my fantasy baseball seasons. I had a keeper league where I had him and I just thought his stuff was so good. And when he was with the Orioles, and it just never quite worked out. And then he had just a weird season last year as well, where Atlanta just said, forget it, we're done with you. And then he went over to Cincinnati, which is not an easy place to pitch, and was just lights out as a reliever. And then he wanted a chance to start, and the Giants were one of the only teams that was willing to do so. And obviously, I think you know the jury's still a little bit out. He was shaky at first, but... Kapler was also doing sort of a whole pitching staff kind of thing and bringing in guys at all sorts of different times in the Dodgers series and everything was kind of unsettled. But his last start, he was obviously fantastic. I mean, that was the one of the more controversial parts of the season when Kapler took him out. What seemed early, he was throwing at 98, 99 miles an hour, and then he took him out, and the Giants, obviously, things kind of went to hell from there. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting. And then Lazardo, obviously. I mean, I saw Lazardo in person just once when he came in in relief of Manaya back in the, the beginning part of the season. He threw three shutout innings, and he just knew, okay, well, you know, I guess they might give him one more relief appearance, but he's definitely going to be a future starter for several, several years. And he's just really fun to watch. Even when his stuff isn't crisp, like the start that you were attending, he's still able to do enough in terms of his moxie and his intelligence and his poise to get through innings and not have to give up too much. You know, even if he's, if he's locating a little bit high, like he was in that game that you were at, that's, it doesn't really matter. He's still able to get through and, you know, pitch five and two thirds, give up two runs. So that's going to be interesting. And then the other interesting part of the series for sure is the Manaya portion. It's, is he, is he at some point going to pick it up here? I think his velocity was a bit higher in Anaheim than we've seen. He's shown some 92s, some 93s where earlier in the year it was more 89, 90, 91, maybe. So, you know, is he able to locate a little bit better? And I think the giants are a good team to get better against. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll definitely see. I think with Manaya, release point has been something that he's played with a lot, and maybe it's just a matter of right now it's a little bit too easy for hitters to see where where he's releasing the ball, and, and by the second time through the order, they've got a good sense of it coming out of his hand. Because you're right, I, I don't think the velocity is really that big of an issue right now. He's been in the low 90s in his last few starts. Um, and the location, a, a story that Alex did this week when uh, Scott Boris was talking about Manaya and, and Chapman, but in, in the Manaya portion, it talked about you know his his uh, location is actually right around league average. So I don't think he's missing by a lot either. But maybe it's just at a point right now where where the ball's coming out, hitters are, are really able to see what it is right away. So thanks again for listening. We'll be back to wrap up the Bay Bridge series part one later next week.